Have you ever had a civil discussion with someone you disagreed with or who had a different perspective than you? If you have, what did you learn? Here on The Moderate Review, we try to have these kinds of discussions. So, let's talk. I'm your host, Jack Taggart, and on this episode of The Moderate Review, I continue my discussion with Brian and Cody about D&D. So, let's talk. My next question I do have is um, because I've I've played it a few times or played Dungeons and Dragons a few times. So really? what what is yeah I know it's uh, quite a while ago actually you know back during my mission so oh <laughs> yeah it's a long time ago so <laughs> but um, could you I miss Brian maybe describe what a campaign is really the campaign comes down to the DM creating a world and an adventure for his or her players. But it's not just that. It's also a collaborative effort. I've talked to Cody about this before where the dungeon master talks to their players and sets up to gives them some knowledge ahead of time. You know, what's this campaign going to be about? Is it about adventure? Is it about taking out a powerful tyrant? Is it about intrigue and political corruption and all that stuff? So it's really between both the dungeon master and the players, and it's good. It's a good idea. It's actually not just a good idea. It's crucial to have the communication between these two parties because we actually had an example where someone in a campaign was uncomfortable with something that happened, and one of our players was raising the dead, and we we actually discussed about that. How far are we willing to go in this adventure? How I mean, how much can the DM put into this without everyone feeling com- uncomfortable and i was really glad that our dungeon master actually took the time to sit down in the middle of this campaign in this adventure and say hey i feel like there's something that we need to discuss here and people are feeling uncomfortable let's talk about it let's talk it over how long can these campaigns last <laughs> <laughs> oh man <laughs> the thing is these campaigns can last for either a short time or they can go for very long. I've been in both situations. There's this one campaign where one of our friends, he did a campaign based on this world where this sort of blight was going throughout this entire world and ravaging it. And we were confined to just one city and exploring it and helping people there. That campaign didn't last very long. I think it only lasted for like three months. I don't know exactly what happened, but it just, died essentially whereas there's this other campaign we just finished recently where it went for almost a full year if not i feel like it went longer than a full year you sure yeah hmm. but no like brian mentioned it like it really depends on what you guys agree to like uh we've been in some campaigns with our roommates that only lasted the semester so like 13 weeks and then we're done because we're all going different directions now i've been a part of one campaign that has gone nearly two years or actually coming up on that so it oh gosh yeah it it really depends on like how you guys can manage it like the one that brian was just talking about that and we still can't tell if it's a year or more i feel like it was a year honestly but that one that we did over online um the one that i've been doing for two years now has been in person so however you want to make it happen if you want to do a full online campaign you could go heck five ten years and it really just depends on how often you guys can meet and what your goal in the campaign is 
again, it comes down to communication between the dungeon master and the players, because the dungeon master really is the dungeon master is really the one that's running the show essentially, while letting the players have their decisions in it. But if the, if there's too many players that aren't going to make it in one night, then it's going to be a little hard to role play that because you notice a difference when some members are missing. So it's usually the dungeon master will not run a session until all players are available. Oh yeah, and especially if the story arc itself that uh, that is currently being told, if that the character that that story arc is centered around isn't there, you don't want to play because you don't want them to miss out on their character growth moments and their like these rising up moments of oh yes, I'm now becoming that that person I've been striving to be. Like, you don't want them to miss out, and you can't really play when they're not there to do that. And so anybody anybody can answer this. You talked about meeting, how often meeting. So typically, how often do you guys meet and how long do you guys, yeah, how often, how much, how long do you meet? Again, it comes down to the Dungeon Master and the group. The campaign that I am in recently, it happens every Saturday in the evening. And we're pretty consistent. We're good at meeting that deadline and being there and ready. We're done like two to three hours. Yeah. Session. Yeah. The session can be long, but... Yeah, the sessions can be long, but we're also pretty good at knowing, you know, when's a good place to stop. Because if one person gets tired, it's kind of hard to continue onward. and It just spreads. So it's always a good idea to talk to your players if you're the dungeon master and ask if this is a good stopping point. And the dungeon master can only do so much because they have to prepare material for each session. And they can wing it. I mean, that's what innovation and creativity is really all about i've done that before <laughs> but, but sometimes the dungeon master can only do so much so sometimes they will call it and just say hey this is all i have and i'm feeling this is a good place to stop and i've done like just an hour and a half uh, most of that is just because we were talking too much at the beginning <laughs> um, but other times i've gone like four hours almost five hours doing a session just because we're having a good time, I've actually had friends tell me like they've done a full twelve hours playing a session, and it was, it's crazy to think about. But like, it really comes down to how much time do you guys want to spend doing this, and then meeting it. It really can again. It depends. Like most campaigns I've been a part of have been once a week we meet, and then we just do our little our four hour session and meet the next week, and we always plan ahead. But others I've actually been a part of some that we would meet a couple times a week. Um, and I know there was one of my friends, he said that uh, they met three times a week and they, I mean, that's just what they did and they enjoyed it. It was the only campaign they were going through. So why not play multiple times a week when they're all available? I got some other more questions kind of more along those lines. I think it was Brian, you did talk about how you guys, um, there is our websites or technology to play kind of remotely. What websites are there? I don't know how many there are, but I'm aware of two right now. There is Roll20, online virtual tabletop. I think that's what the official website name. But pretty much you create a room, whether you're the dungeon. The dungeon master is the one who creates the room and sets up the campaign and all that. And then he sends the invite to the players who are also on Roll20, and then they are good to go from there. The second one that I heard from, I've only used it a little bit. But it's actually quite nifty, this website. It's called D&D Beyond, I believe. Is that correct? Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, D&D Beyond, um, it doesn't have nearly as many features as Roll20 does. Like, Roll20, 
Um, you can show up, I'll show the maps, uh, where everybody's positioned, like everybody has a little token they can move around. Uh, where D&D Beyond, they're just starting to expand their uh, their capacity, but D&D Beyond is a great place to create characters, and they are actually working actively with Wizards of the Coast to have the official content set up, and uh, that way you can buy the content there, have it all digital and virtual, and it's pretty cool. It's very useful. I know I use it a lot for my characters, but not just those, because with our Saturday campaign, we use Roll20, and it does have a system where you can connect uh, using microphones and talk using the Roll20 system, but we actually use Discord. Yeah, we use Discord most all the time. I don't think there's been one time we used Roll20 to connect virtually to see each other or to hear each other. It's always been Discord to, it's just in a chat, really, online chat. Uh, you, you Voice create, chat, there we go. Yeah, you can create chat rooms. You can create little, different little sections and channels. So we have done like a text adventure, which is you uh, type up what you're going to do, and that's just when we can't meet for a week. Um, I've done Zoom, even uh, Zoom and Skype, just because it's it's a way to connect, and that's how you can do those games online. It does pose different challenges when you do uh, do it online, but it is a lot of fun. and allows you to connect with a lot of different people. Mentioned Roll20, D&D Beyond, Zoom, Discord, um, what else? I don't think we have any other websites. Although one website oh. I do use, Cody and I have talked about it before. Actually, no, we really haven't. Yeah. Uh, front page D&D, fifth edition is what it's called. It doesn't have all the content, but it does have a good chunk of it. And even though there's some of it missing, I still use it for a lot of the things that I do. Oh yeah, and this and this is actually the the great thing about how uh, much popularity D and D has achieved over the past several years. But there's uh, an online, it's kind of online, but it's this virtual tabletop program that mm-hmm. one of my friends found. It's called Foundry, and uh, you can use it to build maps and have all these creative and unique uh, things implemented into the game. It works uh, very similar to Roll Twenty. But instead, you have your individual, uh, it's, it's more technical uh, things to talk about. But, uh, and actually, I don't quite understand how it works myself, but it is a really cool program. And it costs about 50 bucks, hmm. I think. But yeah, it's, it's a really nifty tool, really neat if you're playing online. And I've used that with my friend. In fact, in my Monday group, we use Discord and Foundry. While we have half of us meeting in person and the other half of the people are meeting virtually. So that way we can use cameras so people can see. We have a battle map still and all these things. Like there's, if you want to play D&D, there are resources that you can find. And if you start talking with people that you know play D&D, play Dungeons and Dragons, they will share with you what resources they have found. One of the other resources that I've used as a DM myself, I've been DM a whole lot. I'm still new to it. But one of the resources that I've used is actually called Ink Create. I'm not sure if it's part of Foundry or not, but Ink Create is a world map creator, essentially, where you create a world and you lay out where each nation, continent, island, whatever. You can put trees, rivers, mountains, anything you want. I think there is a, you have to pay a certain amount in order to use all of the functions, but I've used it before in the campaign that I dungeon mastered for and it's really nifty to help visualize you know what the world looks like 
and the different factions and nations that could be in this world. And I guess a good starting point for this, um, and I've kind of talked about this with a few people, because we talked how it, it is a story that you're telling, a story that you're participating in. If you are a writer out there, anything that you use, like fantasy name generator, any of these map building uh, websites that we've talked about, or any other ones that you can think of, you can bet that uh, Dungeons and Dragons players use those exact same things because our same goal is telling the story, having a good time. Uh, we're just doing it with a group of people instead of writing the book by ourselves. So <laughs> uh, if you are a, a writer or somebody who's very fascinated by, uh, by English literature, those same tools, if you want to start playing Dungeons and Dragons, you're going to end up using them as well. So keep those close at hand. Some of my final questions I do having, or I do having, I do have. Is there kind of some sort of like code of conduct that um, all D and D players have? Uh, that's actually a, a very good question because, in truth, not everybody has same code of conduct. It's code of conduct. It's it's very much a personal. Like we talk about moral systems. Like, I don't know if you brought talk about those on this podcast before, but uh, you know everybody has a different moral system, a different way that they're raised, or different beliefs and all that. And each group of uh, Dungeons and Dragons players have that same thing. A lot of the characters I play are typically good aligned. I actually don't like playing a whole lot of evil characters, but also there's a different setting for that. As a, a theater person myself, I, I'm okay with playing more evil characters and having darker tones and darker themes in my games, but other people aren't. Really what it's getting come down to is making sure that everybody's having a good experience. Now, I've seen a lot of stuff going throughout the D&D community on TikToks, on uh, Pinterest boards. We, we do want one thing in general, and that is we want everybody to feel included. We want everybody to come and join us because it's a fun game. It's a fun experience. And so when we start noticing toxic players, toxic DMs, we're like, okay, that's not that's not all right. That's not what we're looking for here. It's um, it actually goes back into the history of D&D. Uh, most people talk about Dungeons & Dragons as that uh, satanic cultist or nerdy thing that was brought, oh, that was played back in the 70s and 80s. And, oh, if you play Dungeons & Dragons, you're a nerd. Now, because it was mostly outcasts playing Dungeons & Dragons, anybody who's going to come and say, hey, I want to play, doesn't matter if you're a jock, if you're a popular kid, or if you're a nerd, it really doesn't matter who you are. You're more than welcome to join because we're a group of outcasts and we include everybody. What it comes down to in the end is just showing mutual respect towards everyone, towards the dungeon master, towards the other players. And as Cody said, this is just another way for us to be creative and just to have fun with one another, to interact with this world with the characters that we've created. And that is so actually something that the DM can help with that is set up a ground code of conduct, essentially, where we go over how far can we go with... What do we want from the story? Yeah, and pretty much also rules and ideas to keep in mind while playing the game that way nobody feels alienated or excluded in any way and there's been a lot of talk to about a lot of talk to about uh, wanting to have fun uh, making sure everybody's having a good time we're that's what we're here for we're not here to beat the dm or the dm to kill the players it's all about let's have a good time let's have a good story and see what we can create 
I guess I have this other question and you kind of hit it on, on the head a little bit. Um, what are some common misconceptions that you guys face or, or maybe the, the D&D community as a whole faces? I mean, so we, we mentioned before, it's the, the uh, heavy, heavy satanic idea. That was not so much anymore that we're running into that. Actually, I haven't really heard anything about satanic worshippers, summoning demons or anything else like that. I actually have it pulled up right here. It's a website called The Escapist, where this person actually put together a, a collab where, I think I used that word wrong, pretty much compiled this list of common misconceptions about D&D, and one of those things is satanic worship. Now, there are demons and devils in Dungeons & Dragons, but... Typically, we're trying to kill them. Yeah, that is the usual goal of the players, is to triumph over these evil beings who are pretty much trying to screw everyone over. Uh, this one is more within the community itself, is that there's more players than dungeon masters. I always emphasize it's not hard to be a dungeon master. And if you want to get a group together, you just have to start asking. Because believe me, when I say people want to play, they want to play. Whether it's a new uh, somebody who's never played before and they're interested, or it's somebody who's been a long-time player, they just don't know who else wants to play D&D, and so they're too afraid to ask. Yeah, and something else that I've noticed is, I'm not sure if it is an actual misconception, but Dungeons & Dragons, as we've noted many times in this podcast, it's not just about combat. It's not just about that. It's also about, you know, how would your character react in a certain way? And how would you handle the situation? That's something else that we want to avoid as players of this game is stereotypes. Yeah, no, there's actually, that's probably one of the bigger misconceptions is about the classes <laughs> themselves, the stereotypes. Like, oh, the fighter is this just unintelligent uh fighter and barbarian actually they're these unintelligent just uh, beaters they uh, go in and they fight and kill things and that's what they're all they're good for their meat shields when in truth they don't have to be um i have a uh, orc of all things an orc barbarian that is fairly intelligent uh he's he actually knows things and he he i have set up he has this quirk where he looks through bookcases that he runs into in, in dungeons, in uh, libraries. In fact, how the uh, party first met him is he was sitting at a tavern with a pile of like five books on the table with his glasses on. He was reading through, although he's this massive raging barbarian, he just he likes to sit and he likes to read books. He likes poetry. The bard is typically viewed as the... Uh, Sex-compelled demon. <laughs> <laughs> A lot of people will laugh at that one and understand what I mean by that, but that's not always the case. Like I mentioned before, they're artists, uh, they're like theater majors, they're your singers, your songwriters, and all these things. Um, the wizard isn't just that big book nerd. There's sometimes I've seen these wizards are the frontline fighters. They're there with a sword, uh, they casting spells to keep them safe and then keeping everybody else up. The cleric isn't just the Oh, I'm here to worship my God. I'm 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 here to be a holy a beacon of light. Our friend played this uh, death cleric. Uh, not death. Not just a death cleric. I was thinking Charku. Oh, Tempest uh, cleric. Yeah. So he's basically a cleric that his god's domain circles around storms. Uh, think like Poseidon. And this was the most 
bloodthirsty? <laughs> he's the most bloodthirsty character of us all. He's like, I'm ready to fight things. Let's do this. I'm going to blow stuff up. He's like, you're the cleric. He's like, nah, healing is for losers. But that, like, you gotta... Once you, you, you start playing, you start to see the stereotypes. You start to see the misconceptions that the minor ways that I guess we're used to seeing them. Mm-hmm. And we, we do, in some ways, kind of play against those. I, I guess in some ways, I can't think of misconceptions about D&D itself because I'm in the community. Yeah, I can't really think of anything either. But yeah, with stereotypes is you don't have to be a stereotype. And that's actually something that we didn't really talk about, but certain races are better with certain ability scores. But that doesn't mean that they have to do a class that revolves around those ability scores. Like, oh. Your elves are typically very elegant and dexterous. If, uh, For those of you listening, if you watch The Hobbit, uh, be as you may as it may uh, on your opinions. Um, but when, El- well, when Gandalf was uh, taken, he's... Uh, uh, you know, he's been captured by the Nazgul, and who comes in to save him but uh, Gladriel, uh, Elrond, and Saruman. Uh, they come and you see Elrond just kind of weaving and moving and shifting and deflecting their attacks with ease. That's what we think about with elves, but I've seen some people play these very strong, powerful elves that aren't all that dexterous. And it's it's kind of a funny thing to watch, actually. <laughs> And I guess maybe as um, someone who's kind of has, as you can say, or is somewhat familiar with the community, um, I think most people, they kind of see the, like, their views as someone who plays D&D, you know, as the most stereotypical, more of kind of antisocial, uh, I guess, putting life on hold. Are those kind of stereotypes real? And, like, is there some sort of, like, uh, how do I say this? Maybe an unspoken rule maybe not to do that? Because I know going too much of one thing is bad. That's kind of what I was a little bit asking more. But, you know, but definitely thank you for, for sharing. Yeah, no, it's like when you talk about that, I'm mad, immediately imagining that 30-year-old guy who's sitting in his parents' basements because he hasn't moved out yet. That's It's actually kind of funny. So we talk about this uh, at times, you know, most of the people you see playing D&D are guys, yes. But I've met some very nerdy girls that play. And, you know, it's like, I, yeah, I'm a college student right now. I'm, uh, I play D&D. I go to college. I uh, take, so taking classes, but I'm also working, and that's why scheduling becomes an issue. Uh, the biggest joke about uh, playing D and D is nobody can find the time to play D and D because the schedules won't line up. But it it really is something that like you talked about. Moderation is where you got to bring it in. Um, I'm thinking about dropping some of the campaigns I'm a part of right now uh, once I start classes again in the fall because that's a little bit more important for me. My last question I have for you guys is um, if anybody wanted to learn more about you or D&D or maybe a little bit more about your, your campaigns, uh, where would they go to find out? Cody, you can go first. Oh, for my campaigns, like that's mostly just talking with me, getting to know me. But if you, I guess if you want to get to know me or learn more about me, I have my Facebook page. You just look up Cody Robbins. Uh, you'll probably find me, I think it notes me in Rexburg right now, but that's mostly it. Uh, I don't really post a whole lot, but you know, I, I do I do share some things. I also have a Pinterest page. I got uh, some D&D Pinterest boards there. So if you can find me on Facebook, you can probably find me on Pinterest. But to learn more about these, I'd say start looking up some of those websites we mentioned. And I think Wizards of the Coast and D&D. Uh, D&D Beyond is probably the best one to search. 
Yeah, this is really easy to find online. And there's also hard copy books of some of the books that we've talked about. Players, man, Player's Handbook. Yeah. Player's Handbook, Dungeon Master Guide, all these books. I guess really if you want to know me more as a person, for those who are listening, just go to my Facebook page. Look up Brian Palmer. Uh, it should list me in Moses Lake, Washington. If not, check Rexburg, Idaho. This concludes my interview with Brian and Cody about D&D. This episode was recorded quite some time ago, but the takeaways are nonetheless the same. Despite how weird or different one's hobbies or interests are, they are definitely enjoyable to certain people, and who knows, it could be something that you enjoy. As much as there is an obnoxious sports fan, there will always be that stereotypical D&D player. Likewise, as much as there is that casual, level-headed sports fan, there will always be that normal person playing D&D. So before dismissing something, just because it may seem different, nerdy, weird, or whatever adjective you want to put in, be sure to study and perhaps even try it out. Until next time, I'm your host, Jack Taggart. The views expressed in the moderate review are solely of the individuals participating and not necessarily of the organizations they are affiliated with. If you enjoyed what you've heard, please tell your friends and please follow us on Twitter at tmodrev, that is the letter T, modrev, one word. Until next time, I'm your host, Jack Taggart.